My wife. 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 Hi, I'm Rachel Hampton. And I'm Devin Lytle, and you're listening to I See Why Am I. In case you missed it, Slate's podcast about internet culture. And yes, as y'all can tell, we have a brand new guest host today. And I'm I'm excited for all of our guest hosts, that's not a lie, but I'm especially excited for this one today because I'm joined by Devin Lytle. Devin, hello! Oh my, you're excited. I'm excited. <laughs> I listen to this podcast every week. Every Wednesday and Saturday, oh I listen God. to it when I work out. I listen to it with my <laughs> coffee. It, I've been such a fangirl. Y'all got me through the pandemic, like full stop. It's true. It's true. I'm not even joking. So this wow. is this is a dream come true for me. So wow, so glad to be here. <laughs> um, we're mutual fangirls, so I personally love this. Um, Devin is a producer and director and also an absolute internet legend who I could go through your resume, but we are a 30 to 35 minute podcast. So for the sake of kind of getting at what today's episode is going to be about, I'm going to highlight a specific period of your career, which sure, took place sure. at none other than the red and yellow internet juggernaut itself. BuzzFeed. That's right. Dun, dun, dun. I wish I could make the little squeaky noise with that, mm-hmm. with all the videos. That, <laughs> uh, but I'm not going to. We'll add that in. Add that in post. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. <laughs> I'm talking to Daniel as if he's like a waiter at a restaurant. I'm like, can I have a side of this, please? Thank you so much. Garçon. <laughs> <laughs> um... So Devin was a founding member of the now dearly departed Ladylike channel, which was one of my like favorite comfort objects. We're going to dive into more of your BuzzFeed era later in the episode, along with the drama it spawned, the drama that has taken over my entire timeline on multiple apps. But before we get into all of that, Devin, I have to ask, what was the weirdest video you made in your time at BuzzFeed? Okay, so this is a two-part question, because there's the weirdest video that people like the weirdest received video and then the weirdest experience recording the video. So I actually had a great time. This is one of my favorite videos we ever made, but the internet had a heyday with it. And that was when we painted with our period bloods. And um, yeah, you heard that correctly. I painted with my period blood in 2016. And it was because this woman went viral for painting a picture of Donald Trump with her period blood right when he was running for the 2016 election. Mm -hmm. And we thought that was wild and crazy. So we brought her in, we flew her in from Portland and she taught us how to do it. So do you have any like tips or pointers for us as we're like going into this? I think the main thing is just to have fun with it, explore the blood as blood and not just any other red thing. Side note, if you want to paint with your period blood, don't go to Dick Blicks and get a paintbrush. You're just gonna waste your money. Use a tampon. It's the best vehicle. Of course, it's just a paintbrush right there for you. (laughs) Tampax didn't know what they were doing. Tampax, if you're listening, sponsor us. Uh, we have ideas. Please. <laughs> We've got ideas. But yeah, so that was the weirdest received one. But I think the weirdest one experience video for me was when I first came to BuzzFeed. I was an intern, too, at the time. Mm-hmm. So they asked me to be a part of a vodka shot taste test where this mm-hmm. guy infused flavors into different shots of vodka using Skittles. And he wanted to see if it worked, right? Okay. And so I, I agree. He was also an intern. So I was like, yeah, man, I'll do it. I'll be in your video. 
And of course, I sit down and he's like, okay, here are like six shots in front of you. Like, shoot them in like a span of 20 minutes. What time in the day is it? It was around 3, 3.30. And the way okay. I know this, <laughs> and the way I know it was 3 or 3.30 is because we had a Halloween party at BuzzFeed shortly thereafter. It was a Friday. And I went directly after. And I got there and I realized I was blackout. Again, mind you, I'm still not full time. And I, uh huh. And then they had a hot mic at the front of the stage. And I decided that I would go on the stage, take the mic, introduce myself to the entire company, and then say, Happy Halloween, everyone. Grab an intern and let's dance. Cue Beyonce. Honestly, I see why you got a full time job after this. (laughs) Well, the funny part is apparently the management looked at each other and said, We'll never hire her. They were wrong. (laughs) Those are my BuzzFeed video experiences that I, there are many more, but those are the ones that I feel like are good for this show. (laughs) Absolutely perfect for this show. The Q Beyonce, I could talk about this forever. And in some ways we are, but this is a perfect segue (laughs) into today's very highly requested episode. And when I say highly requested, I mean, some of y'all slid into my Instagram DMs to ask me to do this episode. (laughs) Y'all were very committed. Listen, that's me. Let's just say this for a second. How many times have I slid into your DMs and I'm like, hey, I saw this on TikTok. Can you explain it for me? And I'm always just like, I can't believe that Devin is DMing me. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Um, But today's episode is the Try Guys. I apologize in advance for the number of times we will say Try Guys in this episode. In fact, maybe we'll play a game in honor of Devin's BuzzFeed experience and take a shot of vodka every single time we say Try Guys. Don't do this while driving. (laughs) It sounds real dangerous, but... It does. (laughs) So this past Tuesday, September 27th, the internet was lit on fire by news that Ned Fulmer, a founding member of the Try Guys, had had a quote, consensual workplace relationship with a member of his staff. Condemnation and consequences were swift, which is rare. The remaining Try Guys released a statement saying that after a thorough internal review, Ned would no longer be working with them. The phrase Try Guys became the number one trending topic on Twitter in the United States. TikTokers were screaming, crying, throwing up at the news. The subreddit was set ablaze. Now at this point, some of you might be asking, why does anyone care? And some of you might even be asking, what the fuck is a Try Guy? Seth Rogen asked that question. Seth Rogen did ask that question. So if you are asking, what is a Try Guy? You're in really good company and your question's going to be answered because after a short break, I will be back with Devin to answer all the burning questions. But more importantly, we'll be diving into the environment at BuzzFeed that created the Try Guys and which might ultimately have led to their downfall. And we're back with Devin. So I feel like when people ask me how old I am, I first say, why do you want to know? And then I say, I I consider myself a millennial Gen Z cusp. And I think that's really relevant today because I was in college studying journalism, as I keep saying, around the peak BuzzFeed era, which I'll describe as from like 2015 through 2017. So I was basically at the perfect age in the perfect major to think of BuzzFeed as a dream job. And as time has gone on, it's become incredibly clear that it was not. (laughs) But 
before we get into like the downfall of BuzzFeed, I think we have to talk about the heyday when I personally was still using Facebook and couldn't scroll through Facebook without seeing a BuzzFeed quiz or like a video of some hot young 20 something either divulging their trauma, hanging out with a celebrity or a puppy or trying like $195 mac and cheese. (laughs) So Devin, you were one of these hot 20 somethings. My head is in my hands right now. My head is in my hands. <laughs> so you joined BuzzFeed right at that heyday in 2015. What was it like getting that job? What was the office culture like? I mean, you described vodka shots, so I can take a guess. And what were like the expectations? Here's the thing. I'm very much like BuzzFeed was the best of times. It was the worst of times. In those years of 2015 to 2017, I got to meet the most creative people and I got to work with like and do the most insane things in the name of doing my job. Mm -hmm. And it was so fun. Like the office was chaotic. It was hectic. We were like rubbing elbows with each other in this name of collaboration. It was really, really fun. Mm -hmm. And the energy was you, you would, you know, clock in, come to your work, your desk at 9am. And then you would never be sitting down at your desk for long because somebody would just come up to you and be like, hey, can you do this? Hey, can you shoot this for me? Or can you hold this camera? Hey, can you get this vlog? Hey, can you be in this video? Et cetera, et cetera. And another thing I'll say about BuzzFeed is most of the people who came in around that era did not expect to become personalities. None of us Mm. entered BuzzFeed to be actors, even though I have an acting background and a background in musical theater. By by that time, I had settled on producing and directing. That's what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I wanted to produce content, tell stories. And the fact that, but because of BuzzFeed's culture and because of our ultra low budgets on all of our shoots, we didn't hire actors. We were each other's talent, essentially. So a lot of us, and I know I have a lot of creative friends who worked at BuzzFeed and old co-workers who are die-in-the-wool introverts, but because of the company culture, they became personalities. They were thrust into the limelight simply because they would be in one video and fandoms would start around them. And then I don't ever think that management would necessarily say like, hey, you should be in more videos. But, you know, your schedule would be cleared or like they they would encourage you to like maybe collaborate with that person again. So um, that's another thing I'll say. Like I, I when I entered BuzzFeed, I never wanted to be a BuzzFeed personality. I wanted to direct BuzzFeed personalities. And so when I joined Ladylike, that was kind of my trajectory. But then at the time, I subbed in a couple times in a video and then it just became canon. I was a part of Ladylike. This is actually a perfect uh, segue into my next question, which is about the Try Guys, which consists of Ned Fulmer, Eugene Lee Yang, Keith Happersberger, and Zach Cornfield, which was first formed in 2014 with this video that I vividly remember called Guys Try Ladies Underwear for the First Time. Today I'm trying on women's underwear. Not just any ladies though, Victoria's Secret underwear. I will not like this. This will not be over. They weren't like the Try Guys TM as we know them now because that model of the video, which is person tries something for the first time was really common at BuzzFeed at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, inside BuzzFeed, we would call them FTFT videos, you know, like for the first time. The expectations and the quota for people at BuzzFeed at this time was like you were expected to come up with an idea, make a video, produce it, edit it, 
put it through quality control, and then publish it all within a span of a week. So that's essentially how the Try Guys came to be by trying to fill that quota. And something I just want to go on the record and say is like, I know Zach, Keith, Ned, all I know the guys. I love the guys. I don't really want to comment on Ned's personal choices and his infidelity Mm or, you know, they're all humans and I love them all personally. But I will say like they when they first got it started, no one on that team was like, we're going to start a franchise Mm -hmm. and then we're going to start a business and then we're Mm going to be business partners forever Mm -hmm. and ever. It feels very much like um, building the plane as you're flying it. Um, Oh, Yes. Yeah. It's giving (laughs) it's giving reactionary. It's giving propane at the wall. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And some really great things came out of that, obviously. What really stuck in those early years were reaction videos, which makes sense, because if you look at YouTube now or even TikTok now, people love those really authentic, true reactions. That's what Mm -hmm. makes a taste test a taste test, you know? And so the FTFT formats provided that baked in stakes and those baked in reactions that kept people watching. Mm -hmm. And then I think at some point, you know, producers looked around and they're like, we can try everything. (laughs) And boy, did we. I mean, when I reached out to you, you had some thoughts about what the Try Guys eventually became known for, which is trying things for the first time, like ladies' underwear or labor pain or acrylic nails, which are basically things that women contend with on a daily basis. They hit a nerve. And again, I think in uh, 2022, we look back and we go, ew, like what? (laughs) But back in 2015, seeing mostly, you know, cis, I say cis het, but obviously Eugene is queer. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time he wasn't out. So seeing like cis het men trying uniquely feminine things, things Mm -hmm. that feminine folk deal with every day was very validating. And the problem was with the Internet and Internet content is the number one piece of advice if you're trying to become big or an influencer is iterate off of your successes. Mm-hmm. And so the Try Guys did that. They took it and run. They, they were like, okay, we're just gonna try all the girly things out there. Today we're learning from Michelle Fawn. I've never put on makeup for myself. I have two sisters who tortured me with makeup. I am My doing name it. is Tech and I'm the designer for Aria. I like it. And I brought some beautiful gowns with me today and I'm gonna turn these guys into beautiful brides. Hi, Tech. Uh, we're trying on ladies' Halloween costumes. I like looking at them on women, but I... But that's how BuzzFeed was. If like you, I mean, that's how Ladylike was. Hell, yeah. like we, we came up with ideas that were like, we try hoop skirts for the first time. Oh, mm-hmm. people like that. What other historical clothing can we try? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the culture of how they became what they became. And so another thing I just want to insert is BuzzFeed's demographic at that time was all mostly women. Like our ratio was like probably 70, 30, mm-hmm. maybe even 80, 20. Our audience identified, I, I should say, our audience really identified as women. So mm-hmm. to see that, I think that kind of content really resonated with them. And that's kind of like why they became who they are. So we have the Try Guys who are emerging mm-hmm. doing this bit extensively in like 2014 to 2015. And then we have the kind of twin flame I think of, which is Ladylike. How mm-hmm. does Ladylike come into being? I watch all y'all's videos, but give me the villain origin stories. Well, 
I feel a little funny talking about the origin story of Ladylike because I wasn't there when Ladylike really started. I, again, mm-hmm. I was added later as a fellow. Mm-hmm. But I will. I do know from like conversations and obviously being on the team for five years that essentially executives looked around the unscripted department. They were like, we need what the Try Guys have, but for women, <laughs> you know, Try Guys, Try Gals. And I think that was actually a name that they like passed around for a second. And the thing about the Try Guys is they all worked together and like collaborated together beforehand. Mm-hmm. Ladylike, we didn't. And I think that kind of origin story was had its good sides and its bad sides. The good sides were like we were all very different people coming together to make content for women. But the downside was we definitely had a learning curve. We definitely had to figure out what made each other tick, like each other's boundaries. And we did Mm -hmm. that in real time under an insane quota. But yeah, so that's kind of how Ladylike came to be. So from the beginning, it seems like Ladylike's success was bound up with the Try Guys and that y'all were literally thought of as the girl version of Try Guys. But I'm assuming because of the way the world works that Ladylike was treated differently than the Try Guys. Oh, Rachel. <laughs> you, I asked um, a leading question. <laughs> you have assumed correctly. Um, and this is something, it could be seen as spicy tea, but mm-hmm. I think everyone can sense it and feel it. And I'm just now ready to like really come out and talk about it. But throughout my time at BuzzFeed, Ladylike was continually under-resourced, under-managed, we were often getting compared to the Try Guys. And um, I mean, but the proof is in the pudding. Like our content was moved around from channel to channel. We started on BuzzFeed Yellow, <laughs> RIP back in the day. And we were put there to essentially save the channel, like have our content revitalize the channel. Then they decided once Sophia left and they saw how successful Soft's channel was, they were like, you guys need your own channel. We want you to start from scratch. And then throughout my time at BuzzFeed, they raised our quota. So like when I started at BuzzFeed, I was responsible for one video a week. When we left BuzzFeed, I was responsible for three videos a week. Not me personally, but our team. And they didn't really raise our budget. And then you look at the Try Guys experience at BuzzFeed and the Try Guys got to keep their content on BuzzFeed Video, which is their most popular YouTube channel. They got their own PAs, they got their own shooters, they got their own like budgets and budget increases. And, you know, when we were really trying to make our name for ourselves, I remember we had a meeting with some executives and they asked us like, what is your format? We just don't get what your thing is. And they kept giving us this note for like months until finally we came to them and we were like, do you know what like, a women's magazine is and they were like yeah and they're like we're just a video version of a women's magazine and then finally the execs were like oh but even still they were like you all need to be represent a different vertical so obviously Kristen's going to represent body positivity and obviously freddie is going to represent the black interests and obviously like, literally they tried to put us in verticals and it was really painful and incongruent to like what we wanted for the channel What you're saying about the verticals is really interesting to me because as a viewer, it's definitely something that I noticed that as time went on, it was almost like specific personalities got crystallized. Like they would start as just, you know, it would just be Freddie. It would, it would just, it would just be uh, Zach. It would just be whoever. But then they became 
known as a thing. There was a Mm -hmm. specific thing that they always talked about. Mm -hmm. And one of those things for Ned was his wife. He became a wife guy, which for people who don't know, a wife guy, TM, is a man whose entire identity is being married. And he leads with that. And he leads with that. To the point that the identity of the wife herself almost doesn't matter. It's just that he has a wife. Right. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I'm curious as to whether that was, that doesn't seem like a choice that any of them made. It seems almost like it was one that was created by the circumstances y'all were in, which is you had this high quota. You had to make all these videos. And the easiest way to do that is to think in these like very easy tropes. You're exactly right. And in, in the fact, like when I first met Ned, he was either newly married or about to become married. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about getting married. It's all you can think about when it's happening. You're yeah. spending thousands of dollars. It becomes your full-time job outside of your full-time job. So when I met Ned, he was the guy around the water cooler who talked about his wife a lot. Point blank. And like again, I'm not I'm not going to comment on their relationship or anything, mm-hmm. but he seemed at like a guy who really loved his life at home. And so when you have this insane quota, you just go with the common denominator you just go with the lowest hanging fruit of what who you are if you're trying to like synthesize yourself into a log line you just go with it right Mm -hmm. and again I don't like Ned made his choices I'm not saying that adultery is good bad or otherwise I think that we're humans and we're complex and everything is gray but when it comes to the flashpoint that was the internet this week and why people are like why am I worried about a try guy Mm -hmm. I think it's because people right now are realizing that like this whole idea of a wife guy is a false and b it's very juicy tea to see a wife guy fall from grace but on the other side of that conversation is like well what made a person a wife guy what forced him to crystallize himself into one thing So we've established a kind of environment that the Try Guys emerged out of, and I'm having an absolute ball of a time, but I do think we need to take a short break, after which we're going to talk about what exactly the Try Guys became after they left BuzzFeed, and what happened over the past week. And the answer is a lot. So much. Hi, y'all. Hope you're enjoying today's show. If this is your first time listening, then welcome. We're thrilled to have you here. In case you missed it, that's the name of the show. Also, it's a joke we make every single week because our show comes out twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. So make sure you never miss an episode like this past Wednesday's mailbag episode where we answered all y'all's burning questions about the JoJo Siwa drama, the TikTok makeup drama, and more. It's dramatic. And we're back with Devin. All right, so here's where I admit that I fully stopped watching pretty much any BuzzFeed adjacent content after, I would say, 2018. Until really recently, I was at home, which is where you always regress into being a child, and I was on YouTube, and a Try Guys video came up. Specifically, it was a Zach video about how he was trying to gain 20 pounds of muscle to help with chronic pain. And it was the Mm -hmm. first 
Try Guys video I'd watched since they left BuzzFeed. And I was like really pleasantly surprised. Like I couldn't help myself. I knew what was happening, but there was this glow of nostalgia in seeing Zach again. I don't know this man, but it was like seeing a friend again and like mm-hmm. hearing the updates about their life and knowing they have this beautiful new apartment and a beautiful new girlfriend. And I just found myself thinking, good for you. Zach is the best. He is the best storyteller. And it doesn't surprise me that like you would come across a Try Guy video, a recent one and be like, wow, this is really good. They know how to crank out a good video. They do. And they also are really good at making you, as in me, the viewer, invested in their lives. Which brings us to the word of the century, which is parasocial. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, you've been an internet personality since you were pretty young. But was yeah. do you feel like there was anything about BuzzFeed specifically that encouraged y'all to make viewers invested in y'all's lives in the way that... I feel parasocially invested in Zach's life. Oh, a thousand percent. BuzzFeed would push us to monetize our trauma without giving us the money at all. Please watch the Kristen and Jordan YouTube channel if you want to hear more about this part of the story. This is Kristen's story. But, you know, they again, pushed her towards making body positive content for the Mm. longest time while she was on Ladylike. And so she made a video. She came up with an idea, which was like she was going to visit a couple plastic surgeons and get their input as to like what they would change about her. And I know that video stuck around in her head, in the back of her mind for a long time, because of course it would. Of course it would. They would tease out the relatable parts of ourselves because everyone has like a relatable hashtag relatable part of their personality. Mm -hmm. And they would try to tease those out and really blow them up and make a lot of content about them to the fact where you became like, for example, Kelsey Dara, she became the single gal. Yeah. For a while, Zach mm-hmm. Kornfeld was the single guy. And then you're, you're not given any space to change or grow, yeah. especially in your content and your outward facing life, which then is just incongruent with who you are and causes a lot of internal conflict for folks. Of course. And I imagine the kind of, I'm going to use the word entitlement, that audiences have over the people that they view. So if you are the single girl or the single guy, then what happens when you stop becoming that? Right. Audiences feel like they are left out of X, Y, Z. They've lost a friend, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But I find that it's always bumpy to navigate change in your online persona Mm -hmm. in general, especially for the poor Try Guys this week. I my heart goes out to them. My heart goes out to Ariel like, oh, my God, what happened is sure. It's egregious. I don't want to downplay it. It's sad and scary. Because it's change. But also, it's sad and scary because it came on such a worldwide platform. Oh, my God. I did Mm -hmm. not expect the story to trend the way it did. Me neither. Again, having skipped four years of Try Guys content, I was so surprised. We are getting into the current era. So fast forward a few years from when the Try Guys leave BuzzFeed, which is in 2018. They have launched an empire of more than 7.5 million subscribers. They have multiple YouTube channels, including one that compiled all the times Ned has said my wife. They have merch, including some that feature Ned's wife. They have the spinoff brand, Try Wives. You can see where this is going. They have a food network deal. They have their own wiki and subreddit. They are a juggernaut in and of themselves, separate from BuzzFeed. And then this week... There's 
some shit that happens. <laughs> so the rumor mill started on Reddit where an anonymous post launched speculation about an affair. There's further speculation that that post came from none other than the fiance of the woman that Ned was having an affair with, which subreddit people are scary. Crazy. Sleuths. Truly. At this point, the subreddit starts to notice Ned's absence in recent Try Guys videos, a phenomenon now known as Nedits. Investigators started tracking who was and wasn't following who on Instagram. The rumors make their way over to Twitter and TikTok, which is when I start seeing them. This is Monday. All of this culminates on Tuesday with an Instagram notes app apology from Ned that reads, Family should have always been my priority, but I lost focus and had a consensual workplace relationship. I'm sorry for any pain that my actions may have caused to the guys and the fans, but most of all, Ariel. The only thing that matters right now is my marriage and my children, and that's where I'm going to focus my attention. The Try Guys released their statement severing ties with Ned. Ariel, Ned's wife, releases a statement thanking everyone who's reached out to her and requesting privacy. Meanwhile, the internet chatters on. This becomes the number one trending topic on Twitter. People are still talking about, I mean, I'm, we're talking about this. We're, right now. We, we're talking about this right now. You said you were surprised by how big this became. Yeah. Why were you surprised? I think a little bit I was surprised because these are, I mean, we're not like best friends, but they're my yeah. old coworkers and friends. Mm -hmm. And so a part of me thought this would stay insular among mm. like our own coworkers and friends and just like gossip among us. And then it wouldn't. And I think in general, that's kind of like for uh, people call us or BuzzFeed calls us the BuzzFeed alums, which I take issue with. I'm an, I did not graduate from BuzzFeed, but like for all of the ex-coworkers, I think we kind of just all assumed that, you know, our fandom had grown out of us and all and at mm. the same time we had all kind of grown out of everything else like we've all moved on yeah you know what i mean and the try guys i knew they were still popular but mm. i think in general it hit a nerve because in this era in 2022 i think the internet has hit a refresh button and I think this happens every couple years where the internet, I think of the internet as like the modern day printing press mm -hmm. where it's this big new invention that's bigger than all of us. And it just keeps growing and it keeps becoming smarter than us. And a lot of times people are like, oh, well, that's the reason for the downfall. But when in, in actuality, the internet is just a mirror for who we are because we mm -hmm. made it. We're the ones posting on it. It's just reflecting back us. Yes. So I think, I think it comes in cycles. We look at ourselves. We look at the content we made. We look at our activity, our behaviors online, and we go, eh, and hit a refresh button. And I think with the new rise of streaming and going live and vertical video, we're looking back at all of our old content that may exist on YouTube that's like longer form, yeah. that's a little bit more produced. And we're going, that's not authentic. That's not who we are. That's not representative of us. Ew. And mm -hmm. like I, the other day I have my own podcast. I'm just going to do a little quick plug. Sorry, Rachel. Um, it's should. called, it's called Money Honeys. And I was mm -hmm. doing some research for the show. So I was doing a little research on TikTok. I had never searched our names or ladylike on TikTok before. Cause why would I, we weren't, yeah. we didn't make content for TikTok, but I looked on TikTok and there were all these videos of people being like, are these people okay? Like what made, what possessed them to drink their own pee in 2015 for the internet? And the answer to that is, A, we had a job in media, which are, by the way, very hard to get. 
B, yeah. we had insane quotas. C, we worked at a company that at the time we didn't know was exploiting us. And there's an article, I think it was in New York Magazine, but it was about one of the founders of Vice who was friends with Jonah Peretti at the time. Jonah started BuzzFeed, as we all know, and both of them were getting their start in New York as internet publishers back in 2013. I remember that the article mentions a culture at Vice called the 22-22-22 method, which was hire 22-year-olds, pay them $22,000 a year, and then work them 22 hours a day. And it was the same for us at BuzzFeed. It felt eerily familiar. Yeah, that sounds really familiar to me. Um, By the way, we did reach out to BuzzFeed for comment. They did not respond to our request for comment. Um, So, Devin, my final question for you is, how do you think the black and white thinking that BuzzFeed operated in has affected not just Ned and Ariel in the aftermath of all of this, but all of the... BuzzFeed alums. It's a it's a helpful phrase. I think what it is, is we're seeing the end of the internet persona. Does mm. that mean that we're still not going to have influencers and get ready with me's and oots outfits of the day? <laughs> no. But I think the internet persona as it stands is changing. Mm-hmm. And BuzzFeed really pushed us to synthesize ourselves down into a, a log line. And people are smart. People have been engaging in internet content for years now. So I think we're seeing kind of the death of that sort of internet persona. And I can't tell you where we're heading to next other than like probably live streaming. But I think that's kind of like why this is hitting so hard. Also, you know, a lot of the people who are really outraged online are people who grew up with the Try Guys and BuzzFeed and their formative years. And so to them, I I just want to say like it's a little bit like watching Minnie Mouse and Mickey Mouse get divorced. I get the feeling. I get the feeling. As someone who is an internet personality, I have parasocial relationships with you, Rachel. (laughs) It's no longer parasocial. (laughs) But, you know, it's just a little bubble that's been burst. And that's going to take some time for everyone to get adjusted. Yeah. And I think, I feel like I often say parasocial relationships aren't inherently negative, despite the fact the name really does just make you think of a parasite. Someone should rename it. But... And let me tell you about the good sides of a parasocial relationship, because on this podcast, I don't think we talk about that enough. My cat, Bones, recently passed away two mm-hmm. su- two Sundays ago. I posted about it on my Instagram and the out- like the outreach, the outpouring of people who I don't know, who come to me with their relatable stories and talk to me about a pet that they've lost has been so healing for me has been so, you know, because when you have a a sick pet or a sick family member, you feel helpless. And the only way I feel like I have a little bit of control back is hearing how other people deal with it and how what other people have gone through. And the fact that people who don't know me will spend, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes typing with their thumbs this like paragraph long story. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Like, that is so sweet. And the fact that they would, I mean, time is money. And the fact that they would invest their time and this message of love to me. So there are good sides of the parasocial relationship. However, it's just realizing that everyone is a human at the end of the day. And we all make mistakes. People are people at the end Mm -hmm. of the day. You know, we are people behind these internet avatars. There's another person on the other side of that screen. Don't fucking forget it.
By the way, we did reach out to the Try Guys for comment. They have no additional comment at this time. And that's it for today's show. We will be back in your feeds on Wednesday, so please subscribe. It is the best way to never miss an episode. Please leave a rating and review on Apple or Spotify and tell your friends about us. You can follow us on Twitter at ICYM underscore pod, which is also where you can slide into our DMs. And you can also always drop us a note at ICYMIAdSlate.com. Just so you know, I'm on that email, so I do see what you guys send. So please be nice. ICYMI is produced by Daniel Schrader and Rachel Hampton. Daisy Rosario is our senior supervising producer, and Alicia Montgomery is Slate's VP of audio. See you online. Or on YouTube. (laughs) All right, now I'm recording, and now we are rolling.